Hello, everyone. Welcome to Healing the Nations. In this episode, I have Dr. Eric Walsh, who graciously stopped by on his way back from a speaking engagement on his way back home. So, Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for joining us for Healing the Nations. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. And Dr. Walsh, can you tell us uh, something about yourself and the ministry and the work that you're doing right now? Well, um, I think most people know I'm a medical doctor, um, also a public health professional. Currently, I, you know, practicing physician, do medical directorship and so forth. Um, but in terms of ministry, you know, I've been traveling and preaching um, all over the place um, and just trying to lift up the name of Jesus. I've been I've given my testimony a few times over the last few months. Um, God has just got me to a place now where I really can open up and talk about it. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, those are the two sides of the ministry. That, and then, of course, I still love to do medical mission work and travel overseas and do that. But a little snippet there. A few years ago, as some of us know, you were in the news and the headlines. And it's rare for Seventh-day Adventists to be in major news outlets. And can you tell us something about it, how it happened? where it started well let me just say it was you know it was it was definitely not something by design i was um director and, and health officer for the health department for pasadena california and i was asked to be the commencement speaker for the local community college here long story short um another speaker was disinvited um and when he was disinvited some of the students were upset and you know, seemed to launch a campaign against whoever was going to be the next speaker. So they went online, found my sermons, took quotes out of context, um, put them in a in a popular uh, magazine or, or a relatively popular magazine, uh, online magazine, I guess. And that was it, man. When, once the power of social media hit, I was labeled, you know, all kinds of things, a bigot. I was labeled, you know, this kind of phobic, that kind of phobic. I was labeled... Um, you know, uh, stupid because I believed in in creationism. Um, you know, I was I was called fanatical and and even like you know crazy loopy because I believed in the dangers of spiritualism in um, popular media and in entertainment. And that just mushroomed. I was in the L.A. Times. They did an editorial ridiculing me for being a creationist, um, and because of my you know, some of the things in my sermons about spiritualism and entertainment. And um, it just mushroomed fast. And, you know, once it got in the L.A. Times, it was over. That's the second largest newspaper in the country. And after that, I was everywhere. I was on the nightly news in L.A. Um, and in short order, I had to resign that position um, just because there's no way to really do it when they're destroying your character. I do want to say that for sure um, – some of what was said, I said, and some of the things that were said about me were actually completely untrue. But once the media really starts rolling on you, there's not much you can do. I mean, if, if you got social media and print and TV coming after you, it, it's a, it's an avalanche, and an individual is almost powerless to really be able to stop that kind of stuff. Um, I guess looking back on it, um, it was really difficult because, you know. A lot of the work that I did at the health department was literally around some of the populations that were now attacking me. And to this day, you know, I have a burden for uh, some of those populations. And I really, you know, as a Christian, only wanted to serve and help people. But it really didn't matter. Once people know that you believe what the Bible teaches on certain issues, 
um, they will come after you. They'll try and silence you or destroy you. Now, to clarify, one of the communities that were upset at you is the LGBT community. Is that correct? Yes. You did some special programs for the LGBT community, did you not? Oh, yeah. Well, it wasn't for the whole community. one of the one of my passions in medicine and public health was HIV prevention, HIV um, treatment work, and God, when He put me at the city of Pasadena, really gave me a unique opportunity to to mold and build that. And I had an incredible staff and an incredible executive leadership team in the city, so we were able to bring in millions of dollars and hire dozens of people, many and actually most probably from the LGBTQ community, um, and fund, for example, a dental clinic that specialized in treating low-income HIV-positive individuals on this, in this part of L.A. County. Um, so, and I was, really, I was really pleased with that work. And part of the reason I was is because I have had people die in my life from HIV. One of my friends from childhood did, um, and I've had many a patient over the years, you know, just even through medical school and residency. So, you know, I had, I've always had a passion for serving that community. And so, you know, the idea that I was bigoted or, or, or didn't like that community or individuals in that community was really very false. And I think my work record showed that because I could have made much better money staying in the private sector and staying out of that kind of work. But I really wanted to see those individuals, you know, see, the, see people restored to health. And, and that's regardless of whether or not those individuals, um, you know, agree with me theologically or spiritually or not. And I wasn't at work to judge or convert people. I was at work to just be their physician, love them as Christ loved them. Um, And that was part of the pain of what I went through. It was really difficult to be called names, especially as an African-American who's experienced real racism, you know, hardcore racism in my past, Uh, being called the N-word and seeing epithets drawn on walls and bathrooms in high school and swastikas put on stuff and that kind of thing. It's really difficult to be lumped in with that group um, when really if if you take what I say in context, I'm simply trying to lift up what the, what the, what the Bible teaches on, on certain principles. And, and I've never even had a sermon against that group. Like, I've never preached a sermon on, on that issue, even though the newspapers kept saying that I did. I actually never did. I have no sermon or sermons on that. I just wanted, you know, I have to be true to myself as a physician, as a caregiver, and as a, as a Christian. And, you know, that's really where the rub was. Uh, when these students released that stuff into the, onto the social media and into the media, you know, it, it, it's an avalanche that starts that you can't pull back in our modern times. It's not like back in the day where, you know, it came out in a paper in your city, you moved to another city, nobody ever heard of it. Do you have any regrets having your sermons posted online? No, never. Not even for a second. I think, um, I think you know, at the end of the day, Matthew chapter, um, Matthew 5, verse 10, in the Beatitudes, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Uh, the scripture says, great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets before you. So if, you know, I, you know, I'm, I don't, and, I, and here's the thing, I don't make money off any of that stuff. You know, my stuff is online for free. You know, it's on Audioverse. Um, you know, so, you know, I know preachers that charge thousands of dollars. I, I, I have friends that preach that, and do public speaking and stuff, man, you got to pay two, 200 bucks to get in to see them. Um, and, and that's fine if that's what they do. But my thing was just, listen, God has given me a lot. I need to give it back. So I was okay with that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, even if they weren't online, quite frankly, somebody, 
somebody could have come and sat in on one of my sermons and stymied me. I mean, so I, 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 you can't live in fear like that. You can't look back and wonder and you just got to say, no, I put it online so people could be blessed. And as I've been going through this, even today, as I spoke at uh, one of the churches in the Inland Empire, a lady came to me and said when she was going through Great Depression, she went on Audioverse and she did not know which speaker to listen to. There's so many speakers. She said she just closed her eyes and, and pointed at the list of speakers. And I have no idea what list she was talking about. And it was mine, my name that she pointed to. And she began to listen to my sermons and was, and was very encouraged by those sermons. I've had people from Australia, Europe, Africa, all over the United States and Canada say the same thing. So really, it would be selfish of me to be like, you know, I wish I hadn't said any of this stuff. I wish I hadn't said, given up, putting out my sermons. Because at the end of the day, I'd rather others be blessed and I be in difficulty than for me to not have to go through difficulty and they never receive a blessing that God could have used me to give. Um, there were opportunities even when this happened. Um, individuals call me and said, you know, hey, um, we're going to do a public forum. If you come to this public forum, we'll... Um, you know, we'll make it right. And basically what they were trying to hint to is that if I recanted and, and backed away from what I believed on certain issues, um, my job could be restored. My name could be, my reputation could be restored. Um, and I just told them, no, I can't do that. You know, when I was a kid, I had a single mother. And I say this in this testimony all the time. I, I remember times when we didn't have enough, we had more month than we had money. My mother prayed and the groceries would show up on, on the front door. I know who God is. And I can't deny him, you know, no more than Daniel could to avoid the lion's den or no more than the three Hebrew boys could, three Hebrew boys could to avoid the fiery furnace. So I don't regret anything. I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to walk back through the storm if I, you know, if I could go back in time. But, but I, I've learned to trust, the, trust God in a new and meaningful way. Do you think that a Seventh-day Adventist that believes and upholds the three angels' messages preaches the three angels' messages, can they in this climate work in public service as government or as a public school teacher? I think you can and you must. Um, we're the salt of the earth. And, you know, if we are not, salt is no good if it's not sprinkled. So people need to go and work where they need to work, but that's one of the reasons why we need to fight to defend religious liberty and freedom. Um, you know, people need the right, they should have the right to work in government and the right to have a private, separate, religious experience in their own free time. Um, and I believe in that. So, you know, I think it's going to be difficult, granted. It will be difficult. But um, I would not advise anyone to cower away from public service, government work, public teaching. If that's where God called you to, he called Daniel into that work. And he, and he took care of Daniel when the laws went against him. He called um, Esther to, you know, to go deal with the king in a similar situation, and she had to go do it. Jesus, Jesus could have avoided the cross. All he had to do was stop doing so many miracles and not call the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees uh, broods of vipers and all the different things he called them. He could have been quiet, and he would have never had to go to the cross. He could have avoided the cross. So we can't be afraid of being Christians in the world in order to avoid persecution. We're not at that point yet. What advice can you give if a Seventh-day Adventist faces a media controversy like yourself? I think the first thing you do is you, I hate to say it, but you call the attorneys I had. Call First Liberty um, in Dallas, Texas, and 
get somebody on your side quickly. I wish I had had attorneys right out the gate, and I didn't. It took a while before I found those guys. Or actually, they found me, and God sent them to me. And they were a blessing. And, I, and it's funny because I've been criticized, I know, by some Adventists saying, hey, why did you go with the first-day lawyers? Um, and, and I guess they don't understand the Bible, people who say stuff like that. I mean, some of these guys have big, you know, Internet ministries and don't really understand the Word of God um, because those people also need to hear our message. And the fact that they come and help us means that they have to study our message in order to help us. So God lines it up so that you interact with some of these folk who are good people. Because in that case, why would Jesus go and use a Samaritan woman to reach that Samaritan village, the woman he met at the well? Why didn't he go in there and preach? She wasn't really a Jew. She didn't believe as the Jews believed. They were considered less than. I believe God brought that particular group because, one, they were the best. I think they're the best religious liberty law firm in the country by far. Um, I think if you get into a real religious liberty issue, especially outside of the Sabbath, if it's the Sabbath, you can go to the NAD or, you know, our religious liberty people, they can handle that. But you get into real heavy stuff, I think you need to go to a group like First Liberty. Um, and those are good, let me say this, they're good Christian people. Maybe they don't know and understand all the doctrines like we do, but their love for Jesus Christ and their passion to defend religious freedom was, was, was tangible. And I knew that God had sent them once I met them. I knew it. And, you know, just like David had to hide away with the Philistines for a while, you, you never know where God is going to send you. And that's why when people were criticized, I'm like, they really don't understand the word of God. They don't understand. Jesus says, many have I of other fools that you know not of. Um, and so you don't know where real Christians are placed. And when Ellen White talks about the shaking, he says, some are going to be shaking in. But guess what? Some of these people that you're now called, people are calling Babylon, all these names, they're the ones that are going to come in and take those people's places because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ now. And when the time comes, God will open their eyes to the rest of the truth. Were you able to um, share some of the message to your attorneys? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we talked, I had to talk to them a lot about what we believe, why we believe. They had done their research, so they understood my Sabbath. They understood um, some other key things that we believe, uh, 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 you know, uh, about us as a Protestant denomination. Um so, you know, they had done their homework. And then, of course, as we spoke and talked, I mean, I was just at a conference with them this week um, presenting, and, and um, I was witnessing to many of the people in the firm on the health message. Um, you know, I was, I was, and I did it from a purely biblical standpoint um, with many of the people that were there. And there were others that were there that weren't from the firm that were supporters and so forth. And I'd be at the dinner table explaining to them how the Scripture teaches that a whole food plant-based diet is the way to go and showing them from the Bible, how it actually brings spiritual clarity like it did for Daniel. So it gave me an opportunity to witness two people in a, that I would never have been able to witness to and in a way that I would have never been able to witness to them because they understood that I had gone through something because of what I believe. So it makes people ask, well, what do you believe that you were willing to go through that for it? Our church has a legacy of religious liberty with A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner and mm -hmm. A.T. Jones testifying in Congress. But it seems like we need to have some improvements. What improvements do you suggest our religious department have? Uh, I, I don't know what goes on in their religious department, so I, I can't make any suggestions. You know, the only thing I'd say is if someone is Adventist and in religious liberty trouble, um, and it, especially if it's not around the Sabbath, I think when it's the Sabbath, I think we do a great job. But I think they, they should at least reach out and talk to them and get their side of the story, hear what's going on, um, and then maybe they can even refer them to folk who can help the individual if, if they don't have the ability to help them. But um, 
the truth of the matter is this, this situation is only going to get worse. Um, and it may get worse from both sides. Right now, it, it seems as if the people who are anti-Christianity in general are against us. But this whole thing could swing one day and it'd be because we're a different denomination that believes in the Sabbath and so forth. So we're in a, in a very uh, pickled predicament. We're in a catch-22 because on the one hand, we want religious freedom. We want our religious freedom. Um, but we're very Christian, so we're going to be attacked by you know, groups that don't believe in God and, and, and don't believe Christian anything should exist in the country. But on the flip side of it, when we side with the people who, who are very adamant non-Adventist Christians in the country, many of them may one day, according to prophecy, turn and say, hey, you got to keep the Sunday law. So our job is to be good Christians, you know, live a life of love, serve others, do the best we can. And when the opportunity comes, definitely teach these truths. But understand that we are uniquely alone. And I think the problem that many have is they think that if they align themselves with either side, if we placate them and we water down what we believe and, and act as if we're a part of the world and you know, we're, we're into social justice and we're hip and cool like everybody else, you don't understand you're never going to be like everybody else if you stick to the truth. It's not possible. At the end of the day, anyone who holds fast the true Bible teachings from Genesis to Revelation is going to stick out like a sore thumb. And if you think you can placate your way out of that, you're going to compromise and you're going to bow before the golden image when the three Hebrew boys are standing. Well, you're told in a great controversy, page 587 to 589, that there's going to be a pendulum from extreme left to extreme right. Obviously, you went through extreme persecution from the left. How does it feel to be an actual, dare I say, fulfillment of prophetic persecution? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to fulfill fulfillment of anything. I think um, prophecy is just simply being fulfilled. And i tell you how it feels. It was terrifying on the one hand at many phases of this, of this, of this situation. Um, but at the same time, it was relieving. It... it it was actually nice to know that the Bible is real, and that Matthew five ten through twelve those those verses are true verses. And much of what the Spirit of Prophecy says, and if you if you if you hear my test full testimony that I do in front of churches, I put up certain quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy where literally what I went through was like predicted by the Spirit of Prophecy. I mean, almost down to the letter, it was predicted. So. Um, you know, I, I, I am humbled because I'm a sinner saved by grace. Um, I say that every time I give my testimony. Um, I'm not a hero now, and I wasn't, like, I wasn't a villain then. You know, they may try to make me look like a villain then. I don't want folk trying to make me look like a hero now. I, I want to stay humble. I want to serve the Lord. I want the church to know that I am a sinner, that I need the blood of Jesus Christ. I am not some superhero. I'm not a hero at all. Um, God chose me to go through this. Um, and although I wish he had to chose someone else because not because I'm afraid, but because I think there were much better people <laughs> to, to, to deal with this and, and to stand in front of the, the nation um, and, to, and to lift him up. But I'm actually humbled by the fact that God chose me for this persecution. You preach with a lot of courage and conviction in your sermons. And um, there's a powerful confidence in the Word of God and how you convey your messages. But when you went through this, this situation where your livelihood and your reputation was at stake, what was your coping mechanisms? Um, I, one of the lines, I'm writing an article right now for an Adventist magazine, and uh, one of the lines in it says, 
as I was talking about going through the depression and the and the dejection and the darkness that comes with all of this, I said that the Psalms became my antidepressant and prayer became my anxiolytic. Meaning that instead of taking medication for my depression, I would study and read the Psalms. And I would read some of the Psalms, Psalm 55, Psalm 23, Psalm 22. Uh, some of the Psalms I'd just read over and over and over and over again. And prayer was what I, how I battled anxiety. You know, I, whenever I'd, I'd feel flustered, like, man, I'm in panic. I would get on my knees and I would pray. And what I realized, what God showed me is that as others were praying for me, and there were thousands and thousands, hopefully millions, praying for me, not just Adventists, but even outside of our denomination, their prayers buoyed me up and strengthened me. What was also interesting is um, some of the people from some of the non-Adventist churches in the city actually rallied around me. I met them in one of the churches, and they anointed me with oil, and they prayed over me. And actually, that, that was very meaningful to me, that God, you know, no matter what, God really had not left me. And these very dignified church leaders actually rallied around me to give me support. There are some people that say, well, someone being depressed or someone being discouraged, that shows a lack of faith. How do you respond to that? Is, is it natural to... Listen, Jesus himself said, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said in the garden, if it be your will, let this cup pass from before me. So being discouraged, being down, uh, wanting the storm to pass is not a sin, right? Um, you know, Jesus himself said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from before me. Um, so, you know, I, I don't worry when people say that. It's human to get hit like we, we get hit and, and, to, and, to, and to feel discouraged at times or to feel low. The difference is you can't let discouragement turn into doubt. You can't let discouragement lead to doubt where you begin to question God, doubt God, give up on God. Um, so, you know, those people say, well, you shouldn't get depressed, you shouldn't get discouraged. They probably haven't ever really been through anything. Hmm. Um, because if you go through stuff, you're going to feel it. Job, the Bible says, was perfect. That's what, how God describes him to Satan in the beginning of the book. Yet, if you read the book of Job, he was discouraged at times. He asked to die. Elijah, the prophet, had just called fire from heaven, just destroyed the prophets of Baal. When Jezebel said, listen, you, you know, you, I'm coming for you, buddy. Jezebel's a gangster. Mm -hmm. She was like, I'm coming for you. I'm, I'm going to put you to death. He ran. And he says in 1 Kings 19 and verse 4, he says, it is enough now. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah cried for God to take his life. That's how discouraged he was. And God had to buoy him up in the end of the story. And here's the interesting thing with Elijah. He's the only person in the Bible I know of that asked God to take his life and never dies. He gets taken up in a chariot of fire. He never tastes death. So, um, no, I, you know, some people think that when we're Christians, we stop being human. When they don't understand, Jesus was fully God and he was still human. 100% human, 100% God. You know, so don't, you know, some people think, we, you know, you got to be stoic all the time. I mean, people who can't even relax as Christians. That's not Christianity. That, that's, you know, you might as well be a Greek stoic from ancient times. We as human beings have feelings. We have emotions. We're going to go through things. The secret is when you are up, you trust God and praise God. The secret when you're down is you trust God and you praise God. You praise him in the middle of the storm. 
Psalm, one of the Psalms I love the most is the one where he says, God inhabits the praises of his people. You feel down and you don't feel God is near. Don't just call out to him. Just don't cry out to him. Don't just ask for him. Do like David did. Praise him. When you praise him, he draws close to you. In my LNG White Estate devotion I was reading, she says that when we, when we praise God, the angels of God come near us. They join in in praising with us. So if you want to feel God near you, don't even just go to your knees and ask him to come near you. Open up your hymnal. Open up your Bible and praise God in song and in word. Hey Amen. The reason why I ask these questions is that there's an expectation in certain segments of Adventism, especially conservative Adventism, that basically preachers of the Word of God are superheroes, that we have that expectation that uh, when trial comes, we could just challenge them and, and just stand up with uh, clenched fists and, and with uh, gritting our teeth. But um, thank you for sharing that. It's okay to be vulnerable. Is that correct? It's absolutely okay. It's human. And if you read the Bible carefully, I don't know that there's a Bible hero, including Jesus, that doesn't show vulnerability. Um, you know, Jesus, when you really study um, from Gethsemane to the cross, Jesus really goes through it. And he really talks to his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, so it's human. And this idea of preachers being superheroes is a fallacy. One of the worries I have about Adventism sometimes is we create these Adventist celebrities. Yes. And folk will line up and stand up outside forever. And, you know, they, 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 they adore and sometimes even seem to idolize some preachers. And I discourage that. People are preachers of people and they can fall and fail and mess up. I can fall and fail and mess up. Anybody can. The only person that you can trust fully to model your life after and to look up to is Jesus Christ himself. And that's why there are four Gospels. So that you get a good understanding of his life and of his teachings. And that doesn't mean that there aren't great preachers that we love to hear and we go to hear them and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you got to be real careful. You turn the preacher who is best, who's going to perform for God best in humility. And we don't want to send them the kind of attention that will, can potentially threaten them by exaggerating their ego. Amen. It's not an exaggeration to say the loss was great in going through this crisis for you. Did God slowly prepare you for that moment, do you think, when you're looking back at your life for this moment? <sighs> um, I think in some ways, yes, definitely. I mean, one of the things that I, I had to have a Jobix moment where, where I really said, you know, God gave me these degrees. God gave me these jobs offers and job opportunities and jobs. The Lord giveth. The Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I had to just get to that point and say, look, he gave it to me in the first place. I can't get but so upset about all of this because he is the one who gave it to me. Um, so I think God was trying very hard to prepare me. I don't know that I was always listening. In fact, I think God he might have even given me um, a lot of clues that this could happen, and I ignored them um, just because of the environment I was in. Uh, but, you know, I say this when I give the testimony that my I was my career was really doing incredibly well when this all happened. I mean, there were folk who thought I should be the next Surgeon General of the United States, and um, I think it was even affecting my walk with Christ a little bit, or maybe even more than a little bit. And I think God sent this storm to remind me that He is the only true anchor. 
Um, you know, so I think there was a lot of growth I needed. Just like when you read the book of Job, he yeah, he grew by the end of it. You read Joseph, he grew by the end of the book of Joseph, by the end of the story of Joseph. David clearly grows as you follow his story through his life. Solomon, the same thing. And I think God, part of this was for me to grow and to mature as a man and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ more completely after the storm. When, when Jesus is, falls asleep in the boat and the disciples wake him up and say, Master, carest thou not that we perish as the storm is raging all around him and the boat is full of water. Jesus gets up, the Bible says, he says, peace be still. He rebukes the wind and says to the waves, peace be still. And the, and the Bible says, and then there was a great calm. That means it was more calm after the storm than it was during or before the storm. God will send us through this because he wants us to reach a place of spiritual peace and calm that was greater than what we had before the storm. So I think, ironically, he prepared me for it in a lot of ways, but some of the greatest preparation actually happened in the storm. So after the Pasadena situation, what happened next? Well, most people know I was offered a job in Georgia, and then Georgia fired me before I actually ever could take the job. Um, uh, when people in California called to Georgia, um, and that was very difficult. I mean, there's, this, there's a voicemail where they forget to hang up the phone. They leave me this voicemail telling me I'm no longer working with them or for them, and then they're laughing on it. And that's when I finally broke down and I wept. I was on my way to speak at a, a Franco-Haitian American um, Youth Congress up in the Northeast, and I was at, I think, JFK, and I, and I was sitting on the plane, and I just started crying. I just like, man, Lord, this thing is terrible, man, when these guys are following you around the country. Um, but I, I went to that, that, that um, youth congress, youth conference, and spoke and gave a little bit of this testimony up until that point. And an old Haitian lady, when she heard the testimony, came to me after and began to pray over me. And, I don't know, even in that moment, I knew God was going to work things out. I had no idea how. But that lady's prayers were sincere, and this was someone you could tell spends a lot of time on their, on their knees, calling on the name of God. And I, and I praise God for her. I don't know where she is now, what she's doing, but I needed that prayer in that moment because I had just come off of the reality that this wasn't going away. I'd gotten this other job, but this wasn't going to go away, and, and I was going to be in trouble for a long while. Obviously, you were through a political controversy through this situation. How should Adventists be involved in politics or partisan politics? Or? You know, it's hard for me to answer that because I think as this has happened, I, my, my views around a lot of things have changed, and I don't want this to become political. I'll only say that we are. I believe we're encouraging the spirit of the prophecy to try and, you know, carry out our, our responsibility to vote. Some, some may disagree. I've heard people say that Ellen White says not to, but from what I've read, I, I think we're supposed to vote. And I think when we vote, we cast our vote in a way that's going to protect religious freedom. Um, so, you know, that would be one of, the, one of the litmus tests that I would give to the candidates that I'm voting for. And, you know, I don't want to say anything else because I don't, I don't want people to think I take a side or anything like that. I'm an independent. Uh, but I do want... Um, people to think about the fact that, you know, the, the, there are four angels holding back the wings of strife. And, you know, the, the longer religious liberty is upheld and we're able to preach the gospel freely in this country and around the world, the sooner Jesus will come because of that preaching. And I believe as it begins to collapse, it will begin to collapse because the work is finishing or finished. So, you know, while we can, we need to preach the gospel and we need to always try to keep 
religious liberty at the forefront. This great nation was built on religious liberty. It is our first liberty, and it is in the First Amendment. And when you read the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights and its 10 articles, and you read the Constitution, you understand that America's greatness is really based on the fact that we can have differing opinions but the Constitution protects us to not only have them, to express them, to worship around them, all of those different things. And it seems to me like now there are folk who don't want us to have that right anymore. They don't want us to um, have the right to think different. People want diversity now in everything but thought. And real diversity isn't because people look different or behave different. Real diversity is because people believe different and think different. And the Constitution protects that. There is... Um a spirit of growing intolerance in this country, I think. Intolerance in religious views, intolerance socioeconomically, intolerance, it seems like racism is back in the forefront. Racism is, is probably worse, yeah. How should the Adventist Church minister in this climate, or what unique offering can we do to society for this situation? I think there's one reason why we have to be very careful that as the country becomes polarized, we don't become polarized in those directions. We need to lift up Jesus and not, you know, political parties or anything like that. We have to be very careful. Not that you can't join a political party or have those political bents, but we do have to be careful as a church because um, the country is being more polarized. You know, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, and nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And when you look at the word nation, it can, if you go back to the original text, it can be looked at as ethnicity against ethnicity. Um, so I, I believe that when you look at it, racial tensions are going to probably get worse as we get towards the end of time. Satan is going to use division and differences of all kinds to try and destroy people. I have a sermon called Choosing Revolution where I talk about my own experience of suffering incredible racism in high school and how it how it how it damaged me and I became callous and racist myself and it took the Lord Jesus Christ to take that from me so that you know I, I didn't have this anger towards whole groups of people just based on how they look not even knowing what they think or feel so you know as a church and as individuals we have to really have the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts as the world divides and as people and what happens now people hate each other because of what people think and believe um, so, you know, one time it was what you looked like alone, but now that's another layer. So, you know, and we're seeing more upticks in, 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 in certain things around race. But at the end of the day, the church's role is going to be to heal people. The health message is going to be, always be effective because um, people are going to get more and more sick in this society. And our ability to, to reach them through healing ministries is going to be the way that we're going to win a lot of souls to Christ. And that can only happen if we don't become a part of the partisan nature that the country is, is splitting down. There's a trend in certain segments of Adventism on being involved in social justice. What do you think of that? I, I, think, I think there is a real thing in social justice. I think it's biblical. I mean, I, there are many of Bible verse that tells you that we should be looking out for the widowed. We should be looking out for the fatherless. Um, many, many references in the scripture around taking care of people and, and, and loving justice, as one text says. So I get that. I just think we have to be careful that we don't get so into social justice that we are lifting up justice more than we're lifting up Christ. Um, and that can happen. You know, it's happened in my own life where I, I was more concerned with, with you, know, you know, reversing certain 
idioms in society and, and working against, you know, for example, like racism, that I wasn't very concerned with lifting Jesus up and, and introducing Christ to people. And at the end of the day, all of these issues would be solved if people knew Jesus. If the world really knew Jesus and everyone really knew Jesus and acted as Christians, the problems would disappear. The truth of the matter is all the work the church does to, to improve social justice, as noble as it is and as necessary as it is, to go out and feed the homeless or, you know, or speak out if you're in a town and there's a, you know, some, something happens and someone was targeted because of race and, and harmed or something. It's fine for the church to speak out, in my opinion. But we always have to make sure that we are lifting up Jesus Christ and that that is at the forefront um, because these things are going to continue to happen. And it's critical that people know that we do what we do because we love the Lord. We know the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is the center of why we do what we do. Final question. My final question is, if a brother or sister goes through a similar situation as you have gone through, what can we as a church do to help that individual? I think it depends on what they're going through. Um, you know, when I went through it, I, th I think one person sent me a check that I never cashed, and I didn't, I didn't even have an address to send it back to, but I got it like a year and a half later. <laughs> so I was assuming they'd, they'd, they'd already got rid of it, and I wouldn't have cashed it anyway. But I think most first and foremost is prayer. I got... I had so many people praying for me, and I could I could tangibly feel it, number one. Number two, people sent me great Bible quotes, Bible verses, spirit of prophecy quotes to my phone, and I couldn't read them all, all at once, but sometimes in, in the loneliness of what I was going through, I could flip through my phone and I'd read something, and it was so encouraging. It was just what God needed. So I think encouraging people with the Word is important. Um, so prayer, the Word, and encouraging people with the Word. But it depends on the situation. Someone loses a job, they don't have a way to make it, and they're a part of your local church because these things aren't going to always blow up nationally like mine did. You know, bring them food. Make sure they have food in the house. Um, you know, whatever the church can rally around to do to help them while they're going through things. Um, and that's why I say it just depends on what you're going through to be able to, you know, maybe, you know, pick up their kids and, and watch them for a while. If, 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 you're, if you're friends with them and they trust you with their kids, to give them time to work on getting through these difficult times because it can become all-consuming when a crisis like this hits you. So just being there for people in their daily needs and in their spiritual needs and then, if necessary, even in their financial needs. Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Praise the Lord. Thank you. As we um, use this platform to do our part to heal the nations. And as we close, can you say a word of prayer for us as we conclude this podcast? Yes, Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to just talk and to share. I pray, God, that me, a sinner, um, would continue to decrease as Jesus increases. Father God, I pray that what was discussed here, Lord, would be a blessing to someone else, that they would... Uh, gain insight that they would want to go to the Word of God to study more, read more of the Spirit of Prophecy, um, that they would trust you more, and that they would follow you. Lord, as we go through these difficult things, help our faith to not waver. Help us to become stronger as we go through these things. Um, and then, Lord, come as quickly as you can. And save us from a dying world. Is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.